The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from The Other Side of Midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary... Based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. Clear insights fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. My name is Timothy Saunders. I am one of your co-hosts on this 43rd edition of The Other Side of the News. I'm speaking to you this morning from southwest Turkey, which for many of you may be situated on the other side of the planet. However, we are most likely linked by some form of nonsensical global lockdown under the excuse of an unjustified pandemic. As the dawn chorus begins to warm up here, hopefully many of you are relaxing into a snug winter evening following another week of your life. A perfect time to potentially increase the scope of your awareness and to reflect on what positive actions you may or may not have made this week. And if by any chance you have simply been drawn in and anesthetized by watching others, here is your chance to devise what actions you may like to take next week to improve your life experience. I will soon be joined by co-host and producer, Kintia, together with co-host and researcher, Anessa Driscoll, who are both speaking this evening from the infamous wheelhouse in California. This show is entitled ACDC. As we already approach the end of this first month of 2021, I believe we all can agree the pace and diversity of unfolding events has most definitely experienced a gear change. For those who found the rate in which our reality changed in 2020 startling, I would simply recommend you prepare yourself for the roller coaster to now begin its first descent. None of this should be a surprise for those who already have their radar activated, nor for many of you who have more recently joined the group of coffee-smelling earth dwellers. But just in case we're joined tonight by any new listeners, who have not yet experienced that aha eureka moment, you may like to ask yourself, how do we get here in such an apparent short time? You may also like to piece together some of the world events that have occurred in the last two decades. For example, to select a few, year 2000, a staged event, three towers in free fall in one day, creating panic, destruction and death using fear of an invisible enemy. 
ushering in new draconian rules, invading our privacy, power grabbing our freedom, encapsulating the will of the people to go to war in the Middle East, not forgetting the release of a deadly virus, a US patented version of anthrax. Year 2008-9, a staged event, a controlled financial collapse, economy in freefall, creating panic, depression and death, ushering in new draconian rules, invading our privacy, power grabbing our freedom, not forgetting the release of a deadly virus, H1N1, and subsequent pandemic harmful vaccinations, etc. And year 2020, a staged event, a pandemic according to a revised definition, validated by positive cases originating from an inappropriate test that can be adjusted at will, using fear of an invisible enemy, ushering in new draconian rules, invading our privacy, power grabbing our freedom, creating panic, financial ruin and death, encapsulating the will of the people to go to war with themselves. Of course, these statements are meant to provoke a reaction. That's the whole point. However, I do believe it is high time to realize we are currently taking part in a global event that will both scar and liberate humanity for all time, depending on your level of awareness and the imminent choices you make. Here is a message from What's Her Face. Keith, kindly play sound excerpt A. Oh, Keith, would you mind my pushing the play? I was wearing my mask because I just got back from a full day of being a good person. I love my mask because it's a simple yet effective way to display my righteousness. Am I concerned that two children in China dropped dead because they were forced to wear masks in gym class? Nope. Am I concerned that we're creating a generation of children who will be socially awkward and conditioned to fear their fellow man? No. Am I concerned that I'm contributing to an impending socialist technocracy that will enslave the global population? Not even a little bit. Am I concerned that my mask is symbolic of my compliance of social conditioning that will eventually lead to the forced vaccination of every man, woman, and child on planet Earth? Not a chance. And why am I not concerned, you ask? I'm not concerned because I decided a long time ago that shallow and significant gestures are a much easier way to showcase my morality than actually being moral. Because in order to be a real good person, I gotta stand up to a real bad person. And I don't like standing up to or for anything. I've decided that it's much easier to trick my own mind into thinking compliance is a virtue instead of what compliance actually is. Cowardice. I prefer to float through life completely ignorant to the fact that every socialist takeover has always begun in the exact same way. With government overreach, public shaming, censorship, and a toilet paper shortage. Don't believe me? Google toilet paper shortage in communist Russia. Did you think you were having a unique experience? I prefer to pretend history never repeats itself so that I can stand by and turn a blind eye every time history repeats itself. I prefer to call anyone who speaks up, fights back, or stands their ground a lunatic or a conspiracy theorist so that I don't feel obligated to do my own research. Research takes away from me time. And lastly, I prefer to put on my mask and stand among a sea of masks so that I never have to be seen, be free, or reveal the deep, dark shadows that lurk within me. Isn't she great? You can find What's a Face on YouTube. So what does compliance mean to you? Is compliance a virtue or is compliance cowardice? I do hope the latter. It is abundantly clear that we cannot rely on any nanny state, any government, any anonymous group, or any one man to bring light to this very dark status quo. It, it is time. The only reason they've done that is because they know and have. It is time to come together and join the millions of people around the world who are already creating a wave of peaceful non-compliance. However, most mainstream media viewers 
do not get to see this due to the widespread censorship. Just beyond the thin veil of this draconian censorship is an unimaginable number of people who have simply had enough and are peacefully taking matters into their own hands. Recently, the Italians arranged a mass opening of restaurants. Reports say between 30 and 50,000 restaurants opened en masse last weekend, which very simply overpowered the police with gastronomy. Tomorrow marks another mass opening event in the UK, Spain and beyond with the great reopening event. UK courtrooms are said to already have a waiting list of some half a million hearings. Anyone arrested today for breaking a mandate, which is not actually a law, will most likely not be asked to attend court for two to three years from now. And as so much is happening each week, two to three years seems like an eternity to find solutions. In the meantime, we should not stagnate another moment. Life with liberty is precious and simply must continue before the void is filled by something far less desirable. In the circa 10 months we, since we began this show, we have all grown together. Our reach grow global, and for those who connect, for those who cannot comfortably catch our live broadcast, we share each and every show in full as a free download, as we believe the course we are navigating and the information we gain from our expert guests is too important to restrict to anyone. While we receive many messages, I often wonder who are we talking to and why you choose to listen. I would hope you're able to put this information from our interviews and from the associated links to good use to increase your awareness and understanding with a view to improve your well-being. I often imagine all of our listeners sitting in one huge movie theater. The movie playing is your life experience. We should all be aware most movies are created according to a set of algorithms to offer an optimized cocktail of sex, drugs, and rock and roll to maintain attention spans, entertain, advertise, and of course, program the viewers. TV is far worse, as it literally has a built-in patented system to hypnotize viewers during each programming session. While these facts are well known, I believe it is becoming increasingly apparent that life itself, for many, is also scripted and now monitored according to similar algorithms. The question is how to gain awareness and regain control. I would say this is one of the paramount questions of our time, and time is not on our side. Many of the researchers and investigative journalists I have come to trust over the years as sources of largely unbiased information are independently reaching a similar conclusion at the same time that we are at war, not a conventional war, where there are divisions instigated between nationality, race, and creed, but a war against the people, a war against us. Over the last decades, we have been selectively attacked through pinhole warfare, weakening our family, education, privacy, our diet, liberty, economy, health, and democracy. And next up is food. There are many alarm bells now sounding Severe global food shortages are expected within one year due to a seemingly deliberate strategy. Is it coincidental that Bill Gates was reported to have recently become one of the most prolific landowners in the USA? Is there no limit to the number of fingers in pies this inept Muppet has? I would love to paint rainbows over all the cracks in our reality. However, this is not my style. 
nor is it time to escape or compromise. It is time to face reality. It is time to award our foes with golf foxtrot Yankee trophies. It is time to be aware, unite as a people, and retain our sovereign rights. It is time to create positive solutions worthy of us. So what does ACDC mean to you? Well, alternating current, direct current, the typical uh, meaning, or perhaps it could mean alternating corruption in the District of Columbia. We deserve better than this. We are better than this. It is time for all of us to do better than this. I very much look forward to hearing our guests' perspective regarding this essential awakening process, all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www.theothersideofmidnight.com. Click on the other side of the news in the drop-down menu. Or kindly scroll down to tonight's White The Other Side of the News show banner. There you will see details for this show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references, and selected research. As usual, there is a huge collection of information to read, watch, and listen to, most of which has been handpicked from independent sources. I do urge you to study them and even download your own copies sooner than later as censorship robots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. As we positively encourage our listeners to co-create a better future, you'll find the call-in telephone number below tonight's banner. If you have a relevant question or perhaps would like to share an important observation, please dial plus one if you're outside of North America, followed by 917-889-8802. You will come through to our sound engineer in the control tower, Keith Morgan, who will guide you to an appropriate entry point in our conversation. We'll take calls during the last 30 minutes of this two-hour show after we've laid out the foundations of our discussion. During the last seven rotations, we have seen a tidal wave of remarkable events and headlines reported in the news. To discuss and present each topic in correct context could all too easily fill up an entire show by itself. As the other side of the news is not, per se, a typical news show, and in order to make the best use of our available airtime, I believe we should plot a direct course to greet the rest of our team and to introduce our guest. Despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, lawyers, influencers, artists, and activists who are wide awake and are already making great impact. All they require from you is to unplug from the mainstream and social media propaganda, to make your own independent research, to stop acquiescing, and to stand up for what you believe in with respect to others. Etienne de la Boise Squared, our guest, is such an individual. I look forward to him joining us very shortly. Good evening, Kintia. Good evening, Aneta. Have you written any executive orders this week? <laughs> Oh, maybe the cats have, but not me. <laughs> oh, uh, this has been quite a week. Uh, it's been it's been quite quite a. Well, I would say a year, but we're only in January. It feels like it's been a year. Um, so much stuff coming at us, and I have to say that this week I actually kind of hit an overload point. I kind of just couldn't take on any more, and I just had to to, to settle back and and really cut back on what I was consuming as far as information. And uh, so I could say it was terribly confusing because there was so much conflicting information and I had so many ups and downs. But in the end, I was really hopeful 
because what I started to hear come out of all of these different people from all of these different disciplines is what I believe the truth to be, that this is a, this is a battle of good and evil, and this is a battle of consciousness. It's not a battle. It's, it's a, it's a uh, heightening, it's an elevation of our consciousness that the planet's going through. And that no matter where you feel about the whole situation we find ourselves in, we each have individual responsibility to, uh, to help ourselves come to a higher level and help those that we have any influence over see the truth and come to a higher level. And so in the end, that's where I kind of landed for the week. And it wasn't where I expected because uh, I started out kind of like really my head spinning. And at the end, I felt pretty peaceful about all of this. So quite, quite different. And how about you, Cynthia? Well, <laughs> I've been in the same boat with you. I mean, I've some I'm someone who most of my life I really didn't pay attention to politics and this whole shift uh really woke me up in a startling way like well what's going on around the world and I've been watching and looking at well what's going on with our government and of course there are lots of question marks that like they just don't add up like things of like well why has the White House been dark and why did Biden not get a 12-gun salute? And why was, you know, there's just one thing after another that makes me really question the narrative that's being shown to us. But it comes back to exactly what you were speaking of, Annetta, is that this is a time and I, for really going within and seeing where do you stand in relation to, quote, good and evil. I mean, I'm hearing all these people that, before we're so, uh, I don't want to say materialistic, but let's say much more in their mind. And now I'm hearing more and more people really cognizant of that this is a, a tug of war in consciousness between those who are choosing to live life in a cooperative, loving way and those who are choosing against life in a sense. And it's a global question, but it's also a personal question. And it's a question that we meet moment by moment. We walk out the door, and how are we going to greet that other person who's going down the street? How are we going to greet the ones when we go into the store? It's, it's a really potent question, and I feel these great shifts happening within people and the schisms that are happening. And you know, it's almost like you, you can see who's walking around in fear and who are those that are sort of on the fence one way or another. And then those who are like, it will all be resolved in a good way. And I really do sense that we are each creating our experience. So so for me, I'm actually pretty excited because the signs that I'm seeing show me that we are at the precipice when things are going to really shake up and it doesn't, it isn't scaring me as much as it is making me hopeful because we need things to shake shape up now, shake up. We need a change and more and more I'm seeing like, for example, in England, you have, all across England, they are coordinating a campaign. 
the great reopening that's supposed to happen on Saturday will be happening on Saturday the 30th. And all these shop owners across country are agreeing to open up. And I'm watching their chats on Telegram and seeing the cooperation. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, the people in Europe, they went through World War II and they went through the Nazis and it's much more in their face, so to speak. And so they're much more active than we are here. And I'm hoping that the actions they take there will spill over here into America because here we're still disconnected from our communities. And over there, I'm watching how each county has its own coordinator and and you can see the restaurant owners and the shop owners texting each other on Telegram back and forth and we're opening and we're doing this and we're doing that. And you can see the momentum of the populace, of the people. And so that gives me great hope. And I feel that that's coming here to this country as well. I think the things that are blatantly, obviously dehumanizing and really bad for our health are going to become much more visible, which will be an impetus for people to start re-examining the choices they have made before. I know that I've had to re-examine my choices from where I was four years ago. So I, I'm, I'm actually filled with great hope in the middle of what appears to be like the darkest of dark. I'm seeing so many signs of uh, things about to be huge, uh, huge changes. And one of my links, I have um, some intel about possible changes with the CCP in China. And I, I hold, I really hope it comes through because that would be a big solution to a lot of problems, not all our problems, but it would certainly be a piece of it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm more aware of our, the power of our personal choice and the power of our unity as I'm watching it in Europe with all these protests to lockdowns across Europe. It's not just in the UK. It's in many countries where they're protesting the lockdown. So the power of our unity and the power of our personal choice and the power of internal reflection, the the reaching out to connect with source deep within each one of us for our guidance and not to be just following someone else's dictate as to what is so, but to take the responsibility to to do the due diligence, to find the information, and then to meditate on it, to contemplate on it, to ask uh, for guidance from those from the power that is within each of us. So I'm I'm very hopeful about this. I mean, I I really am, and I it's just it's an interesting uh, dichotomy. I have to say, it is an interesting dichotomy. So that's where I am. I had I had one other little thing to to say too that I you know I can't believe I forgot this is that I find it really interesting that uh, what's going on around the world and uh, and particularly I don't know how how prevalent it is across all the different uh, places on the planet but certainly here all of a sudden we're seeing all these releases 
more public about the um, CPR test being completely inaccurate. Uh, we're, we're getting documentation from the WHO and um, from CDC. Not that that means anything, but it means it means something to people that still believe in that. And we're seeing all of these uh, uh, cities that have been the most brutal in lockdown. All of a sudden, they're saying, "Oh, we have to open." I mean. You know, we know that the media has been completely biased. This is uh, when Trump said that it was completely ridiculed. Now it's being said, and I'm I'm calling it the um, the election infection. Uh, what we're seeing here is all of a sudden the election infection is it's it's, it's gone away. Oh my gosh! Just like we said it would from the very beginning. But anyway, there's been so much of that this week too, where there's. They, the cracks are so great that they can't cover them up anymore, and they're having to come clean on it. So that's just another little thing I wanted to add in that, about this week that's been very significant for me. I think it's also worth taking perspective. You know, like to use your words earlier, Kintia, you know, this may be quite a dark time for many people. But on the other hand, how many more generations would you like all of this to sort of go these embers to go on glowing in, in the background. I mean, you know, it's clear that it needs to come out into the open. Once you've seen this, you cannot unsee it. So the fact that, you know, these events are unfolding hand over fist every week now. I remember the times when we used to uh, come on and, and to Richard's Hopeland show, you know, going back, you know, five years or something. And we had, we'd, discuss for three hours how uh, you know an event had happened or event is coming up or event may happen and we'd still have a very fascinating conversation but it was one event that would be happening sort of you know months apart from another one here this week we're having multiple events we're having you know 10 events a week or six events a week and there's almost too much to cover that that's why in 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 the news items I chose just to skip it because literally we're going to fill up the whole show with, with the news headlines. And, and as this is not a, a typical news show, uh, it's, it's much more important. I think that we uh, sort of offer our, our reflections and our perspectives and opinions and, you know, very importantly, bring on our guest shortly. So, well, I- you know, I'm, I'm actually glad that we have this speed because I think it's an exciting time, an exhilarating time, and it's going to bring on change. Clearly, we can't just sweep a little bit of dust under the carpet and just pretend nothing, everything's fine. There's some radical changes required. I think everybody must be aware of that by now. So if that's the frequency that the change is going to happen, then bring it on. You know, it's up to us to make, make the new world the way we want it to be, not wait for somebody else to offer it for us, offer it to us. I'm so in agreement, and I'm really excited that Etienne is our guest tonight because with all these events happening, we're witnessing the deep corruption in governments across, you know, across the planet, and. Uh, this is the perfect guest to have for tonight who's going to address, like, well, not only the governments, but what would it be like without governments? I mean, you know, we're talking about consciousness and we're talking about us each being 
personally responsible, just as in a family, families can work together without there being some kind of dictator. I think we're, we're, the planet is moving globally towards a new kind of structure, a new way of cooperating with each other. And so uh, Etienne will be able to shed more light on that. I'm very excited to bring him on as a guest tonight. Well, we're coming up on the break in, in probably half a minute or so. So, Annette, is there anything else you'd like to add? Because if we bring on now, we're probably going to be having a musical interlude in the middle of it. <laughs> well, I, I just, I, I feel very positive about what's happening. I feel like there is a lot of stuff that's coming to the surface. Even even some things in mainstream media are, are popping up, which is positive because although I don't, uh, partake of that. Uh, a lot of people still do. And so I'm, I'm feeling like we we're making progress and the truth is coming out. And that's, that's the best thing that we can have happen that, and people realize that we actually are the ones that hold the power and we need to flip the pyramid and take our, take our power and have it go up the other way, which is how it was originally designed. So um, I'm feeling very, very positive and very hopeful of what's happening. So that's kind of it. The only reason they've done that is because they know and have openly admitted that it's unenforceable. So if they kept everyone locked down over Christmas, they know that everyone's going to ignore it. You can go and see your family at Christmas, of course you are. And they know that you've got 65 million people in the UK. You can't, you can't place 65 million people going to each other's houses for Christmas. You can't do it. There's not enough police officers. So what they've done to try and keep some kind of you know, appearance of power is give us those dates. So it's like, I know you're going around each other's houses, but we let you do it. Because that's better than keeping us locked down, us all doing it anyway, and them openly showing their weakness, which which they have, they can't enforce it. And, and the police chief, chief constable has said as much that it's unenforceable. And so that's what I think people need to realize is that all these music venues could open, all these theaters could open, all these restaurants could open, all these bars could open, as long as they all opened. Because then it's unenforceable. Hello everyone, my name's Gareth Ike. It's been a pleasure to talk on the other side of the news. Fantastic conversation with Kinthea, Timothy and Annetta. And I wish you all the best with a fantastic podcast. Cross my aching Body language clear here. Breathe my breaking heart. Make my stand right here. Action over hope. Make my stand right here. Action over hope. Action. Let's do hate and fear. 
And welcome back to the other side of the news. Our guest tonight is Etienne de la Boussier Squared. Uh, Co-hosting with me is Annette Driscoll and Timothy Saunders, and I am Kinthea. The show tonight is called ACDC. So I'm excited to introduce Etienne. He is the co-founder and executive director of the Art of Liberty Foundation that is developing voluntary and free market solutions to social issues while exposing the illegitimacy and criminality of government and the hidden curriculum of organized crimes, mandatory government schools, scouting programs, and police military training. The pseudo-religion of statism, obedience, fealty, order following, and tax slavery. Mr. Boussier is the author of Government, the Biggest Scam in History, Exposed, and its companion media, The Liberator, a viral flash drive, Dropbox, and or data DVD full of liberty resources, that both expose organized crimes control systems and provides the healthy alternatives of voluntarism, freedom, love, tolerance, agorism, counter-economics, and cryptocurrencies. The physical book and the flash drive are specifically designed for hand-to-hand distribution to get around organized crimes propaganda matrix of six monopoly media companies running hundreds of subsidiaries and two dozen internet search, social media, and video sites that offer the illusion of choice and diversity of opinion on the DARPA internet. Mr. Bossier Guerd is a misplaced Texan who splits his time between New Hampshire as part of a free state project and pre-state and pre-state project. Oh, free state project and pre-state project. And Arizona, where he stands ready to help federal, state, and local law enforcement understand the people and organizations behind organized crime control of the government and media. Welcome, Etienne. How are you? Are you here? I am here, and it's fantastic to be with you and your audience. Thank you so much. What a delight. So I am ever curious how you even got into this, like what led you down this path? Well, so uh, in a previous life, I was a researcher at one of the big four think tanks in Washington, D.C., and I had access to a $3,000 a month Lexus Nexus terminal in the early 1990s 
And for for those in your audience not familiar with LexisNexis, LexisNexis was the internet before the internet was the internet. And they had every uh, newspaper in the world, almost in the world, every magazine, transcripts of all of the news shows, and all of it available at your fingertips. And I realized in 1994, 95, um, uh, that the federal government had not just murdered 80 men, women, and children at Waco uh, and then covered it up, um, but that they had blown up a federal building in Oklahoma City um, uh, to tar the militia movement that was growing rapidly after the Waco massacre um, as being white supremacists that bomb uh, uh, federal buildings. And when I began looking into it with my $3,000 a month LexisNexis terminal, the story that was coming out of Oklahoma City, I very quickly realized that the story that was coming out of Oklahoma City from the major news uh, uh, networks was very different than the story that was coming out of the local and the regional papers, specifically Channel 4. And I began digging into it and realized that the federal government had a hand in uh, uh, blowing up um, a a federal building, including a daycare center. And after that, uh, I started paying attention to politics uh, much more closely than I had been previously. And I've been tracking the this organized crime system for 20 plus years. And uh, but uh, but it was it was the the Oklahoma City bombing. It really woke me up that not only was the federal government blowing up uh, daycare centers, but it was being covered up at a very, very wide scale by a monopolized media system um, uh, that was censoring the real information coming out of Oklahoma City. My gosh, that's a whole nother show right there. We've done a show on 911. We should do a show on that. That's, uh, no, it is it's fascinating. And uh, the really the the people that that I would recommend for that is the crew that made the movie A Noble Lie, which ended up you know um, following the uh, the work of a citizens grand jury uh, that did all of the primary research into what happened at Waco and producing an award winning documentary called A Noble Lie, and that documentary, which is available or at least used to be available on YouTube and shoot and some of the video sharing sites would uh, would prep your audience for uh, for a trip down the rabbit hole. Oh, we should do that. We should do that. <laughs> My gosh. So I understand uh, that this. Oh, wow. I'm just like blown away what you just said. Um, so as you were doing this. Did you make connections then to 911? Was it like all becoming more and more obvious? Uh, yeah, by the time 911 uh, rolled around, um, I had already figured out um, to to a great degree how the system worked um, and who was behind who was behind it and, ha- and how the power structure worked. And I should I guess I should preface this by telling your audience that uh, that politically I'm a voluntarist and I don't believe that government is legitimate, desirable, or necessary. 
And when I say that government is illegitimate, I, I, say, I say that very, very specifically because it is impossible to have a legitimate government where one group of people is given morally and you know, morally has the ability uh, to use violence and to make up rules for everyone else in society. And, uh, and that idea, that poisonous idea that some men can be delegated authority over others and have the ability to use violence, well, that is, that's obviously not, you know, that's obviously impossible because if I personally don't have the ability to, uh, to make up rules for Kimthia or Timothy or Anetta, uh, and, I, and I don't have the ability to steal your money, then I can't delegate a rule, a right that I do not have myself to a representative to represent me doing something I don't have the ability to do myself uh, or a government to represent me doing something I don't have the ability to do myself. And since nobody can be bound by a social contract they didn't sign, democracy is obviously uh, uh, not, not, a, uh, not a good idea if Kintia and Aneta can vote to rob Timothy. And so it doesn't matter if, if it, there's two of you or three of you or 250 million of you voting to rob Timothy. Um, there is no amount of extra people that will take something that is inherently immoral and make it moral just because the mob decides to vote for it in a political ritual. And so once people really can kind of grasp that idea that it's absolutely positively impossible for there to be a legitimate government because we, the people, cannot delegate rights that they do not have to a representative or to a government, then you have to kind of go back in history and realize what, was, what, what has happened, and that is that we have been sold the idea that government is legitimate to rule us and to mulct us and to tax farm us for the benefit of others. And that idea that government is legitimate is given to the population by uh, uh, control of the information through mandatory government schools. So the government is controlling the information that the majority of the population receives in, the, in their formative years by teaching them that it is legitimate, necessary, and desirable to have a government, and that whatever country that you live in, uh, that your government is legitimate and that they're looking out for you and they're to protect life, liberty, and property. And the truth is, is that it has never been designed to protect life, liberty, and property. It has always been used to rob and enslave. And I really trace back what I call this intergenerational organized crime system to monarchy. And I look at monarchy as the original organized crime. You will, uh, you know, you will give us a portion of your money as taxes, and we will protect you. And if you don't, we will hurt you. And so you will pay us money or we will hurt you. And then that got codified into uh, culture, and uh, the rulers began using a variety of techniques, not just to get obedience, but to get fealty and adoration. They began wearing fancy hats and fancy clothing and using spectacle and controlling uh, the narrative around their, uh, their reign and the divine right of kings and the propaganda that comes with controlling the printing presses and the, and the media within your own country. 
and uh, and it really you know most people have never really examined that core idea that is what if government is not legitimate at all and when you really examine that core idea then you really really come to the realization that wait a minute not only is it not is it not um, uh, uh, legitimate but it's being used to tax farm uh, the human population. The final thing I'll say is the uh, that the uh, subtitle of the book is uh, How Intergenerational Organized Crime Runs the Government and the Media, and that really is the big idea. It's the government and the media working together hand-in-hand hand to control the information that the population receives, uh, to be able to convince them of the legitimacy of the system, the desirability of the system, and then to constantly menace them with either foreign or domestic enemies to divide and conquer them. And, uh, and it's the government and the media working together, monopolization of media on a very, very wide scale, six major companies running hundreds of subsidiaries on the old media side, and about two dozen new media, internet search, video sharing sites, uh, social media sites, and others that are uh, algorithmically censoring information on the DARPA internet uh, to control the information the population receives, whether that is fact-checking uh, things uh, that they uh, don't want you to know about, or whether that's shadow banning or demonetizing or uh, one of the zillion other ways that they're algorithmically controlling the information that you receive and the information others receive and so that is my thesis, and, uh, and I come to it as a voluntarist that does not believe in the uh, legitimacy of government from the outset. So that word voluntarist, um, how are, are – are there's a growing group of you? How do people – you know, is this – a movement that people are becoming aware of? Because I've heard the word anarchy and anarchist, but I haven't heard the word voluntarist. Can you so expand I'm on let, that? Your, I'm going to let you and your audience in on a big secret, and that voluntarism is anarchy rebranded. Okay, but voluntarism, anarchy. okay. So but, then it doesn't have the baggage, huh? Right, but anarchy doesn't mean what the majority of your audience thinks that it means. The word anarchy means no rulers. It doesn't mean no rules. It just means no rulers. But because the rulers don't want the population to know that there's a option on the menu called no rulers, they have used their propaganda system and even control of the dictionary, which I break down in my book, uh, to change the word for no rulers over time to mean chaos and mm-hmm. dystopia. Mm-hmm. And, right. and, so, and so that is to throw the population off the trail of the one thing that would free them by associating no rulers with chaos and dystopia when the truth is, is that the world is a self-organizing system that produces something called spontaneous order. Everything that the government does, if you just think of the government as a monopoly provider of goods and services, 
could better be done by the free market, by mutual aid societies, by real charity, or it likely should not be done at all. And if we ever got rid of government, if we ever got the parasite of government off of our backs, and we could have a free market and money, and we could have we could get rid of all the economic misallocation and the monopoly privileges and the economic distortions that government causes and in, in, in the market, um, that, that uh, the economy would bloom and we would produce and get to keep the, the, the overwhelming majority of our money. We would invest it with more skill and, and care than the government does. Uh, we would, uh, uh, it would, you know, because you're spending your own money, you're going to do so more efficiently. And, uh, and, and the fact is, that if it wasn't for government, we would all be fabulously wealthy. Um, and mm-hmm. not just fabulously wealthy in the sense of we don't have to pay half of our income in overt taxes, covert taxes, and inflation. But if, we, if the government just wasn't stealing the value out of the money, Okay, right now in, in you know, almost every country on the planet, the government mandatory fiat paper currencies are losing value. And if the government if you if the, if we just were allowed to have honest money, then our money in a free market should be gaining value and buying more and more each year as improvements and as the uh, the um, as improvements in efficiency reduce the costs of producing and distributing the luxuries and necessities of life. And so uh, it's not just, you know, when you, when you take a look at these rapidly depreciating fiat paper tickets that the government gives you as money, it's not just that you're losing the, the you know, the, you're, you're suffering the loss of purchasing power each year, but you're also losing the growing purchasing power that hard money and honest money would provide the population. And that change alone in our economy would make the average person, you know, richer year after year after year. Well, this thinking is so lucid. And I'm wondering, like, how do voluntarianism or people that are going in that direction, how do you, do you gather together? I mean, how does one get to know more about it, and how do we network with each other? Well, sure. So the the word the word uh, voluntarism just means that you support a world where all interactions are voluntary. Nobody gets the ability to use violence on anybody else. Nobody gets the ring of power. I like to call it the only ism that's fair for everyone. Communism, mm-hmm. socialism democratic republicanism, all of these isms, except for voluntarism, have a ruling class that gets to take your money and make up rules for you. And and whether that ruling class is democratically elected or whether that ruling class is, you know, the divine right of kings or however that ruling class comes, you know, is supposedly comes into existence, um, they get to boss you around and take your stuff. And voluntarism is the only ism that respects the individual rights of the human being, uh, individual self-ownership, um, and individual rights 
to absolutely guarantee those rights by saying that anybody that's using anytime that anybody is using violence in society, that's how you know they're the bad people. Even if it's government, government does not get a pass on morality. Wow. Listen, I know Annetta wants to ask a question here. Annetta? I can't hear you. You have to unmute. Yes, I do. I do need to unmute. <laughs> oh, so anyway, um, I was going to ask a bunch of questions, which I have all written down here, and you have been just knocking one after another off my list. So I actually want to go back to um, – I, I, I don't want to get into the one that I have because it's going to be a longer answer, but I want to talk about this idea of spontaneous order, and I don't see that it's really disconnected from money, um, the whole situation, but – could you go a little bit more into that so our listeners can understand how that could play out in real life as far as examples of that? Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. So so first of all, the the idea that that we have to have a centrally organized system in Washington DC or London or Moscow or Beijing to control the lives of hundreds and hundreds of millions of people just doesn't make any sense at all. When you really think about how the food distribution system works or how the, the, or how automobiles are, are produced or how smartphones or laptops or any of these incredibly, incredibly complex systems that require the, you know, the engineering and the manufacturing expertise of hundreds of thousands of people in, in some cases, hundreds and hundreds of different companies providing all of these different components without any central direction, without any force. Um, if you take a look at the complexity of a smartphone or a Tesla or you know, uh, uh, a laptop computer, um, that all of that is done without any central control whatsoever. I mean, you know, one company may be making the screen, one company may be making the software, one company may be making the keyboard, the mouse, uh, this driver, that driver, the power supply, the brick, and they all come together, hundreds of companies, hundreds of thousands of individuals, everybody working for their own self-interest to produce something that is greater than the sum of each of them working alone. And that is just, those are just a couple of examples, spontaneous order. If you've ever been to a traffic circle without a light, you'll notice that human beings are really good natural turn takers. You know, I've been in some traffic circles in Mexico where, you know, uh, three or four different roads converge and the overall speed of the, of the automobiles getting through the traffic system by naturally turn-taking is faster than if they'd had a series of lights. And this one traffic circle that I'm thinking of specifically in Acapulco, uh, every time the, the local municipality puts a light out, the people shoot it out because they don't want the control of the light on their traffic circle. And so those are just a couple of examples of, of how uh, order can appear without any top-down centralized 
uh, direction. And, uh, and absent that top-down centralized direction, you get all the things that, uh, that negative top-down centralized direction gets you, like warfare, like um, uh, staged terrorism, like uh, uh, overreaching public health policy, um, locking down communities based on flawed disease and death models that have been proven to be flawed. And so, uh, uh, so, so uh, spontaneous order protects you from the mistakes that governments make by trying to be top-down authoritarian. That's true. I mean, I, I, was, in, uh, I was in research and development for, uh, in the electronics industry, and I can assure you, yes, it's true. All those, all those companies, none of us were related, yet we were all using each other's resources, and that's exactly how it worked. Uh, and, it, and it didn't happen because someone told us that was where to go. We just would search out. I mean, that was my job. I would do the fabrications and stuff and try to find the best source of the best things and work with people in manufacturing. So we know it actually works. We do it all the time. Uh, when the government tells us that we have to do it a certain way, this is where we get into big, big problems, you know? Um, so we know actually in, inherently and intuitively this is truth what we're talking about here um i i wanted actually we we have only a short time till till break and i i wanted to ask you a little bit about the the money issue one of my favorites about the fiat currency i and you know and the devaluation of the dollar which is otherwise you know euphemistically called inflation um could you go a little bit into that, a little bit more detail into that idea? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'll just I'll I'll kind of set it up for the next segment and just say that you know that the that one of the ways that this organized crime system has been able to monopolize the media and has been able to uh, control the government and control um, uh, perception at a, on a wide scale is because it's the banks at the core. And they've been given the privilege of creating money out of thin air using a technique called fractional reserve banking, where the central banks backstop the money center banks to create money out of thin air. So when you go to get a loan, whether it's a mortgage or a car loan, that's not depositor money that they're loaning you. Uh, they just credit your account with some dollar credits, and you're off to the races and then you spend the rest of your life paying interest on a mortgage that somebody created out of thin air. And that's the reason why the bank is the largest building in every city on the planet, because they're making outrageous profits by getting to loan money at interest that they created out of thin air. All right. So to the break, we'll come back afterwards and continue on with that topic. Thank you.
www.midnight.com. Join Richard C. Hoagland and an array of fascinating guests as we explore real-world topics and events through the lens of hyperdimensional physics. Join Club 19.5 to gain access to hundreds of archived shows. Only $9.95 per month. Listen in each Saturday and Sunday to the most compelling and thoughtful broadcasts heard in over 160 countries around the world. Real research. Real data. Real science. The other side of midnight.com. Here's the big word, law. It stands for land, air, water. When you are born and you come into this world, you're born on the land, not the water. That's what the bar operates in. That's their jurisdiction, the jurisdiction of the sea. Okay? Law stands for land, common law. A stands for air, acoustical law, canon law. And W stands for water, which is admiralty maritime law. That's what lawyers are trained in, which is contract law. It's the difference between legal and lawful is legal applies to that which is incorporated, right? Legal persons, which are fictions that are created when we're born. That's what the birth certificate represents people. Okay. It's very disturbing when you understand that truth. For the other side of the news, my name is Christopher James, and I just wanted to give my full support to these wonderful people who are bringing incredible light forward at this time and moment in our world. The truth has never been more important, and I was incredibly blessed to be with them and share with them enormous truths on our very first interview, and I'm looking forward to coming back and seeing our world finally coming together under one hood, under one understanding that there's truly only one of us, and that there's only love that matters in this world, and this one truth is going to save our world, and I'm so blessed to be able to bring this forward and share this light with my fellow man and woman from this show this evening. So support them all you can moving forward. They're an incredible bunch of people, and Godspeed. Good evening, and welcome back to our show. Some of our shows is ACBC, and we have Etone de Boy. I have a hard time with this name. <laughs> I'm going to skip that. Um, anyway, we we just left the show uh, before break, and we were going to talk about further about the money and the fractional banking system. So th- how they devaluate the money and how that's affecting humans on the planet. And it's a dirty system, and I should probably tell your audience that I'm a ex-Wall Street guy. I used to work on uh, Wall Street um, on the technology side, creating uh, um, networks for market data, trading for technology. And um, that system, that fiat currency system, is one of the linchpins that pays for um, controlling the government and controlling the media. And if you're making your money off of 
you know, off of government and you're stealing trillions and trillions of dollars and you're stealing it through um, military industrial complex fraud, weapon systems we don't need for wars that, uh, that we were lied into on manufactured intelligence, um, trillions of dollars of bailouts and stimulus, um, uh, forcing the population to take uh, vaccinations that they're that they uh, that are you know put on the CDC's schedule every year. Um, if you're stealing trillions and trillions of dollars, then you know what do you call the couple hundred a billion a year you spend to control the media? It's just the marketing budget, and that control of perception system is what we're fighting against today. And that's why you see people being censored off of the major social media platforms. That's why you see them being demonetized. That's why you see videos disappearing off of YouTube. That's why you see people uh, being uh, shadow banned and openly banned on Twitter. Um, the, uh, we really are in an information war, and it's the growing population coming to realization that government is illegitimate. And that this, and that the media system is being controlled algorithmically and across the board through um, monopolization and a handful of companies working together as a cartel. And the more and more people that discover that and begin broadcasting that to their friends and neighbors, the more they get censored um, on the dark internet. Right. So actually that brings me back uh, to a question that I had that I wanted to talk about a little bit was, was the six monopolies. I have said this to many people and what would you say to somebody who this is their first idea that this is all completely controlled. These monopolies literally own all the other ones. I mean, they believe they have a free media system, but it's just a, it's, it's just a ruse to, to cover up that they're really, all owned by only six um, families, as far as I understand. And how would you explain that to someone who's really has no idea this is the case? So the magic of what I do in the book, Government, the Biggest Scam of in History Exposed, which you can download for free at government-scam.com, is I use media ownership charts, historical images, visualizations, um, organization charts to make what was invisible to the population now visible. And so if you tell one of your friends and family that there are uh, six companies running hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of subsidiaries to give you the illusion of diversity of information sources within society, they may or may not believe you. But if you download Government, the Biggest Scam in History Exposed, you can flip through until you find the media ownership chart that has uh, six – that shows six companies and listing out all the subsidiaries. And so as an example, uh, News Corp, which owns Fox News, they, it's not, they don't just own Fox News. They own 175 newspapers, and they own satellite networks. And they own other television programming and film production and book publishing companies. And when you see them, those listed out, and then right next to them, you've got Walt Disney, which owns 
ABC and all of the film production and the movie production and cinemas and, and all of these different media assets. And when you see them all kind of laid out and interconnected, not only do you believe it, but you're like, oh, my God, there's six companies running hundreds of subsidiaries to give everybody the illusion of diversity of information in society. And because you see it with your own eyes, you come to a deeper understanding. You're going to retain the information longer. And so the book, Government, the Biggest Scam in History, was actually designed to take somebody from zero to 60 as fast as humanly possible by leveraging uh, uh, an understanding of the way that humans are learn and come to insight on ideas. And the book targets visual learners and then exposes the system by helping people to visualize how these seemingly unconnected companies, whether news organizations or military industrial complex companies, how they are connected uh, um, through interlocking ownership or uh, uh, membership, you know, uh, um, dozens and dozens and dozens of of ostensibly independent news magazines, television programs, cable networks, etc., all have their key editors, publishers, and reporters connected through three organizations, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Bilderberg Group, and the uh, uh, um, Trilateral Commission. And these three organizations have maneuvered their membership into dozens and dozens and dozens of seemingly unconnected media organizations. And that's how you're able to sell COVID or the bailouts or the stimulus or the next war across what appear to be dozens and dozens and dozens of ostensibly unconnected media companies. But it's only when you see through visualization how the reporters, the editors, and the publishers are all connected through these three organizations that you understand how the media can be given its marching orders across dozens and dozens of ostensibly independent media properties. Etienne, it's Timothy. Yes. I have certainly looked at your book. Unfortunately, it was a very busy week. I did not read from cover to cover, but I did watch a number of your uh, interviews and seminars. I also saw that you took part in the Anacapulco event uh, recently. I, I don't know when that was, uh, last year or the year before? or, or um, February 2020. February 2020, so it was actually last year. I mean, that was extremely informative because you do sort of start to address uh, some of the key points from your, I mean, some of the key points, there are many key points, but you did not have time to go through, obviously, through cover to cover, but it is very well laid out. I've looked at some of the charts and the visualizations, and then you've also put hot links in as well so that you can click on certain elements if they're highlighted, I think, in blue, and then you actually go into deeper down the rabbit hole and see more references and data and so on. So I would highly recommend to everybody to take a look at this because I don't know how long it took to put this together, but, I mean, it, it looks like it one hell of a lot of work, actually. So uh, well done for that. Thank you. It was a it was a two year labor of love, and it, like I said, it was designed, you know, not for somebody that necessarily already knows all these things. It's design. It's designed for how do you take someone, a friend, 
a family member, a loved one, and how do you bring them up to speed on what's going on as fast as humanly possible? And the way that you're going to do that with a complex system like media monopolization is through visualization, because visualization, like I said, takes something that was invisible and makes it visible. Um, You know, most people did not understand that hundreds and hundreds of these companies were really rolling up into the ownership of just six, you know, corporations. And once they understand that, once you understand how the how the magician does the trick, it becomes much harder to be fooled by the trick again. And that's really what I'm trying to do is expose how the magician does the trick mm. and how these, these ostensibly independent media companies are all tied together either through ownership or through having the key reporters, editors, and publishers uh, tied uh, to three just three organizations where they're getting their marching orders to yeah. disseminate this base propaganda. Also, also, it comes from the education channel, the funnel they came through as well, I believe. I mean, for example, if I go back early in my career, at one point, I, I was my, my father was a filmmaker and I was uh, busy sort of uh, assisting, you know, just, just for fun initially when I was you know, quite young. But by the time I was 14, I was actually working as a, an assistant cameraman uh, for sort of TV productions in the UK, UK and also internationally as well. Not not uh, all full time, obviously, but I would disappear for a couple of weeks at a time uh, from school on a sort of a leave of absence or whatever and come back sometimes with a suntan and say, where the hell have you been? I said, well, I just was involved in a shoot in the Caribbean and it was quite interesting. And it, it, it was it was you know, something really had a place in time. It didn't happen every month, of course, but it, it, it was a very, yeah, it, it was a very fortunate experience for me to, to be involved in. But that did also open my eyes to the difference between what you see on the screen and what you see in reality at a very early, uh, relatively early age. Um, and, you know, for example, my father went to, uh, go to see some of the, the, the sort of the uh, the war zones, not during the wars, but actually sort of just after ceasefire and so on in the Middle East. And some of the photographs that came back, you know, printed photographs those days uh, in relation to what was reported in the news were showed very, very different events indeed. So these things just sort of confirmed. So I've seen for a long time, um, you know, a lot of things that don't add up and as you say, it is all in plain sight, but we're kind of channeled and funneled and guided and uh, goaded. I mean, you know, for example, this whole idea of uh, anarchy, If you, as you say, if you just tap it into Google or something like this, you know, you're, you're given a very negative uh, view of what that word actually means. But if you look at, you know, an alternative meaning, it actually just means, as, as you say, it, it's, it's an absence of government um, and you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go through every letter of what it means right now, but everyone else can do that themselves. But the whole point is it, it's a question of discerning the difference between is that the real answer or is that the answer that I'm supposed to shut my brain off at? And um, this, is, this is, comes to the point where people are so incredibly lazy. I think that's where Facebook and other social media has also really put 
some of the last nails in the coffin for some people because they don't really think anymore. They just sort of think, well, I like this guy or I like this girl and they think this, so I'm going to like it. And therefore, yeah, I, I've just, you know, changed my whole paradigm to think like they do uh, or even not think, but just follow. <laughs> and uh, So these tools that, you know, are at the, what I call the minority's disposal, the, the deep state, you know, whatever you want to call them, the government, uh, everywhere. And I think that if some people take a, a walk through a, a typical day, take a section through a typical day, I really do question the number of choices people actually make. I think they make very few original choices themselves. I think they're guided along uh, like an electric sidewalk. And uh, well, do you have anything to think about, to, to react, to reflect on those those points? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, one of the things I do in the book is I actually compare the 1827 definition of anarchy from Webster's Dictionary with the 2020 definition from Merriam-Webster's Dictionary to show the reader just how the definition has changed over time. And then I break down who owns the dictionary. And so Merriam-Webster uh, is owned by Encyclopedia Britannica, which is owned by the Safra banking family. And the former uh, chairman of the Council on Foreign Relations sits on the editorial control board. And so if you are able to control the meaning of words, you're able to control the people that have to use the words. And so when I was uh, – and, and I have a screenshot in the book of when I – believe it or not, when I went to go get, get the screenshot of the, the current definition of anarchy from the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, Merriam-Webster is actually promoting on two different places on the page the word democratic socialism where they claim that uh, it would lead to a – Equitable distribution of income. <laughs> Incredible. When it doesn't, it doesn't. It it's only leads to redistribution um, because everything that socialism has, it has to steal. And then, believe it or not, um, it call it says that uh, that uh, um, that, that uh, um, anarchy is is chaos. And it just it's so you, you just get a you know, right there they're promoting one word while denigrating another one, you know, on mm. you know, right there in the dictionary. And so that that level of control, unless you realize that that's going on, and unless you realize that the information that you receive is being, you know, uh, being controlled to you, then you're not really even in the game. That that's something which I was kind of highlighting in, in my opening is that you know, ACDC, in my opinion, alternating corruption. It's the left and the right. It's the, you know, it, it's the Republicans and Democrats. It's whatever you want to say it is. But I mean, it, it's just the same thing, just uh, played out by a different group, in my opinion. And a lot of people don't like that. They get upset. They think I'm insulting their sort of... Uh, you know, their origins, their constitution, their, their uh, 
you know, insulting them in the face of, you know, they're, they're, it's, a, it's a cactus in, in the face of patriotism. It's not any of those things. It's just the way I see it. Um, and I'm sure a lot of more people see it in a similar way uh, following the latest U.S. election. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable. I think the system is properly broken. However, I do not know what can replace it. Now, and I'd like to rewind a little bit and just take you to task on something you guys, you and Anessa, were talking about just before the top of the hour. Um, in my day job, I, I design things. So I design from a white sheet of paper to delivering a finished yacht. So a yacht is kind of an independent entity. It's something which has to withstand storms. It, it has to have toilets. It has to have a fridge. It has to have everything. It's kind of like a a very, very small city. So you need to think of all the different ways in which you know, a yacht would operate, you know, engines, exhaust, air, fuel, water, sewage, whatever it is, as well as the way it looks, the way it behaves, and the way it actually floats and so on. So there's a lot to think about, but every time we create a yacht, um, there's a team. And, you know, I cannot understand how that team could come together unless somebody creates the blueprint. The blueprint is, I'm the authority. This is the design. We're going to make this team. Please, you know, work together with the best solutions to make this work. So straight away from the outset, there is somebody who is kind of taking an authoritative position. Now that doesn't really seem to work in my opinion. Um, with this natural order uh, conversation that you're having with, with Anessa, because, you know, if, if I'm a good guy and I'm defining the design and the yacht is successful, that's all wonderful. But if I'm a bad guy and let's say I design a, a great, dirty, great hole in the hull of the, the ship and, you know, it goes to sea and the, the customer, the customer, the client is enjoying it and suddenly the thing sinks and then, Oh, I'm the bad guy and I'm sort of rubbing my hands and saying, well, I took out, you know, an insurance policy and, and I'm, I'm going to make money on this. And, you know, it, it's, we're assuming that everybody's the good guy. So how does this voluntarism work without an authoritative figure? I'm confused by this. Sure. So I, I think the way to think about it is think of the government as a monopoly provider of goods and services. Um, because everybody wants safe neighborhoods and everybody wants to be safe in their home and their business, there's a demand for armed protective services. If the government wasn't stepping in and saying, I'm going to be the monopoly provider and only I get to provide armed protective services, then there would be different um, armed protective services companies competing for your dollar, and it would probably cost 50 bucks a month. And it would probably come with an alarm system. But when, the, when your armed protector shows up, when your house is being broken into or someone's threatening you, know, you on your block or whatever the, you know, the, the incident is, when the officer arrives, um, he only has the same rights that you do. And because you have the right to life, liberty, and property, you can delegate those rights to a uh, to a armed to a to a security company to exercise those rights on your behalf because you have those rights inherent within you. 
Now, you don't have the right to tell your neighbor whether or not he should gamble, or you don't have the right to tell your uh, neighbor whether or not he should be able to smoke this plant or that plant or you know, what drugs to use or whether or not he should get a vaccination or whether or not that he should close his business because you think that uh, there's a bad, nasty flu going around. And so you, you don't have the ability or your, your armed security guard wouldn't have the ability to exercise rights that you don't have on your behalf. And so a lot of the mischief that the police uh, get themselves involved into goes away, but you still have uh, you know, armed protective services providing um, uh, you know, uh, protection for your family and your business. Um, I'll give you a different example with roads. Um, uh, right now, the government provides all of the roads, but wouldn't it be better if the uh, that every time a developer wanted to build a mall or a big box retailer or a housing development, that the developer built the road himself to get you to the new housing development and then socialize those costs among the businesses and the property owners within the housing development, not making people across the state or in a different part of the state pay for roads that aren't theirs. And the fact that it is done on a local basis means that the, that the, uh, the property owner, the property management company, or the, uh, the homeowners association that is going to maintain the road they're going to have a better feel on the, the nickels and the pennies that go into maintaining that road than people that may be on the other side of the state. Mm-hmm. So you I get a better outcome. I, I don't disagree with you yeah. on this part, but what I guess I'm trying to say is that, I mean, roads is a very good example because I, I originated in the UK and it, it makes any difference. But one of the big differences is that in the UK, people drive on a different side of the road to many other countries. So we use that, um, we're using that metaphor at the moment, okay, creating the road. I understand that the building, the, the cost and so on, but you know, then we come to an intersection, I think you call it, or a roundabout, we call it in, in English. Um, so you guys over there are going to sort of go clockwise. We're going to go anti-clockwise or vice versa. Who decides that? Or doesn't it matter? Is it like India, where you just it just doesn't matter? There's a space you you fill it with your car, and then you know you you, <laughs> you don't stop at anything unless there's a cow in the way. Uh, who decides the basic, you know, DNA of of society? The person that owns the road. So if you've got a if you've got a company that builds that you know that has said, hey, I think there's money to be made by constructing a road from point A to point B mm-hmm. and they do the market research and they say, Hey, we think that, you know, we can charge this much in toll and any more, more that we charge than this, then people are going to go around and they're going to go the longer way and everything. And so once the market decides on the price and the cost and, and the goods, you know, based on, you know, the uh, area of the country and it's all localized and boom, you got a road, then, the owner gets to decide what the rules of his road are. And his goal is going to be to get you there from A to B so that you like it and you're comfortable and you're safe. And he's yeah. got no, he's got no incentive for you to die in a, in an accident. 
And so his your safety is going to be of his paramount uh, concern because he doesn't want his road to have a bad reputation. And that's the way that it ought to be instead of bureaucrats in you know Washington, D.C. trying to set speed limits for the entire country. I mean, I want this to work. That's why I'm challenging on this because I want to better understand how it can work. Um, but it's just that if you have, let's say, a road owner, and there are road owners in the world, and they tend to be sort of fairly uh, well-off people, I have to say, the ones I've, I've come across or, or, or read about, um, now those people are becoming a sort of a, in a financial elite group, then do they not suddenly have a lot more power than somebody else who does not own a road? And then how does that work? Actually, we're, we're just coming up on a break. I'm just looking at uh, Keith is sending some notes in the background. I think we're going to have to take this up on the other side of the break. Uh, so I'm going to say to everybody listening, uh, we're enjoying speaking with Etienne. We, our show title is ACDC, and you're listening to the other side of the news. We'll come back after the break. objective from the beginning, uh, if you look back to English history, the common law and equity both developed under different systems. Right. The common law was originally always the, the original system of law, which was biblically based. And it was handed down orally from person to person over the years because there wasn't any, any printing press or writing until the Middle Ages, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas equity, however, what would happen is the common law at that time was extremely strict very, very harsh. <laughs> and most people fail to, to realize the, uh, the strictness. For, and I know, for example, um, one criminal charge sometimes can take four or five pages to lay it out of everyone. And if you missed a, a dotting an I, you, the, the guy could have the charge thrown out. So what developed was eventually people who thought that the common law was too harsh would petition the king for redress. And then the queen, king I should say, or queen, would determine if they were going to have mercy on him and what they were going to do. Um, sometimes they were thrown to the wind and said, too bad, you're out of luck. Other times they would get redressed. And what would happen as more and more people started going to the king, he couldn't handle the workload. So he appointed it to the chancellor. Mm -hmm. And that he started doing it, which then became the court of chancery or equity. And of course, a number of principles developed in equity, I think there's 12 or 13 of them now, um, that developed over the years where it basically was a, uh, a separate form of, of law based on fairness and various principles that developed parallel to the common law. And then early in the 1900s, they were fused into one court because you had different courts, common law and you had equity. And they fused them into one court where the same court would apply both systems of law. And if there was a conflict, and only if there was a conflict, the common law would prevail. Hi, I'm David Kevin Lindsay from Canada. And I would urge everybody to be able to support the other side of the news. With the news media all over the world essentially promoting the government narrative 
on virtually every issue out there, everybody needs an alternative source of accurate, truthful information. And the other side of the news provides that information, that source of information from a variety of speakers all over the world with personal knowledge and experience that they can share with everybody in over 160 countries that they're involved in and that they go to to show everybody in the world what they are doing to support and encourage everybody else to also stand up for freedom issues throughout the world. I would urge everybody on a regular basis to listen and support the other side of the news. Good evening. Welcome back to the show. Our show's title tonight is ACDC. Our guest is Etienne de la Boussier, squared. And uh, Timothy left off uh, in, before the, the break about the roads. And I think what, and I could be wrong about this, but I think what we're trying to get at here is the idea that with free... Um, Mm, I'll see, con- like, I don't even want to use the word commerce, but if we're allowed to freely interact and provide services and, and have communities, uh, could we do this without government regulation? And my feeling on that is yes, because we do it all the time in, in business and industry if we're allowed to. And uh, so I think that's where we were going with that. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but you were you were just you were discussing this. And we were using the example of roads, and can someone kind of structure? Is it a is it a, an issue? I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Like, can someone gain too much power? Exactly that. that. Um, what I'm trying to think of. I mean, let me just spell it out very quickly. Is if a road owner is making, let's say, a million, whatever it is, a year. And if a person who helped build the road is not earning that million a year, they're earning 10 a year, I'm just whatever the units they are. Now, if those people need to employ a security company, as we just talked about earlier, then clearly the road owner is going to be able to buy an awful lot more security guards than the, uh, the road worker who can maybe buy one or two. So at the end of the day, who is going to adjudicate who is right or wrong in any dispute and who is going to which set of rules and who sets those rules. That's what I'm, I'm kind of trying to understand that scenario. Maybe I'm just too programmed by the, the existing system, but that's the question I'm trying to come to. Yeah. So, um, and it's a complicated issue because the monopoly government has said, uh, we only, we get to provide, uh, armed protective services, and only we get to provide, provide um, uh, courts and, uh, you know, uh, contract dispute resolution. And so because everybody has grown up within this government system and has only known this government system, very few people have said, hey, how would it have developed if the government hadn't stepped in and claimed a monopoly privilege over these two, uh, you know, key aspects of, 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 you know, somewhat civilization. And so um, there are economists and others that have said and looked at other examples in history where you haven't had any government and looked at examples 
throughout the throughout the world where countries have taken and privatized key aspects of what people you know only associate with government um, air traffic control is one example. The Canadians have, have, have privatized that function. And guess what? The planes don't fall out of the sky. And that, you know, private companies can provide these, these government services. And so um, uh, it would depend upon how the, you know, the, uh, it, it was is structured. But the key thing is, is that if the road owner has more security guards than the employees have security guards, as long as those security guards aren't being used to rob the little guy, then it doesn't matter if the road owner has more security guards than the little guy, as long as there's less crime and more prosperity in society. And that's really, I guess, the magic of voluntarism and the free market and market dynamics is that um, the more you know, we've got you know 200 different countries on the planet, and the Cato Institute and the Fraser Institute in Canada rate them based on their openness of their uh, of their economy uh, and the openness of their personal liberties, their economic liberty and their personal liberty. And year after year after year, what they find is the more economic freedom. And the more personal freedom they have, the wealthier a society that they're able to produce. And so um, uh, you get government out of the way and you free up the market, um, you know, you're not having, you know, you're not losing your purchasing power through inflation. You're not having half of your disposable income taxed away and overt taxes and covert taxes. And that extra wealth can provide all of the charity, all of the, uh, you know, all of the um, uh, necessities and luxuries of life that the government is providing, but can do so without the violence and without the economic, mis- mis- uh, you know, allocation and without the unfairness, the monopoly privilege, and all the other ways that, that government uh, benefits moneyed interests in society at the expense of the little guy. I, I guess I'm just, sorry, Annette, I know, I'm not trying to stamp over your, your carpet at the moment, but I'm just trying to find an analogy that, that you know, works with, with my, my mindset. I'm just wondering maybe another analogy could be, you know, you have people, beekeepers, um, and they create hives and they, they give food and they give water and they put sugar in and the bad ones do anyway um, at different times and then they, they take the honey but if you move that swarm of bees into a natural environment where there is no beekeeper, there's no hive and they go and uh, you know create their, their home in uh, let's say a hollowed out tree trunk, I'm just making something up top of my head and they have no human interaction at all do you think that their order would flourish? Do you think it would be more, uh, do you think it'd be sustainable? I mean, is, is that like another analogy? If we take the control away and just let the natural order evolve, is that an analogy? Uh, yeah. So, so the, I mean, part of the problem that we have right now is the wealth is being concentrated in the hands of crony capitalists 
um, that are making money off of military industrial complex fraud and fractional reserve banking and vac- you know, uh, mandatory vaccinations and ethanol subsidies and agricultural subsidies and this. And absent that system, really the only way to make money is to provide the consumer with a product that they willingly purchase, um, uh, you know, that they want, that they believe that'll improve their lot in life. And, uh, you know, when you have a willing buyer and you have a willing seller, then both parties win. And so um, I, the, the, you know, the market um, would allocate society's capital to those people that are able to provide the necessities and luxuries of life at the best price and at the best quality for the greatest number. And that's the way that you want to see um, uh, capital allocated. You want to see it allocated to the meritocracy that is, that is you know, improving the quality of life of people on the planet. You don't want to see it going to people that are uh, lobbying and bribing the government to stage wars based on lies and manufactured intelligence. You know, you don't want it going to pharmaceutical companies that are lobbying and bribing to get their vaccination put on the CDC schedule. You don't want it going to investment bankers that are lobbying and bribing Congress to hand them trillions of dollars in quote unquote bailouts and stimulus. And so all of this economic misallocation makes um, everyone tremendously, tremendously less well-off than they would be if they got to spend all of their money on what they thought was important, on the charities that they know were doing a good job in their community versus having half of their income stolen and overt taxes, covert taxes, and inflation, and then spent for them. And not just um, half. Just, I, yeah. I was talk, I was talking with a, a customer in Sweden this week. He said he's paying eighty percent tax. Imagine eighty <laughs> percent. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I think we all have this this choice. I mean, even on my limited level, I have a choice at the moment. I'm spending my money in shops where they don't get on my back if I don't wear a mask. If somebody says to me put a mask on, I'll say, well, I don't do masks. And then they say, you have to. And I say, well, then I'll spend my money somewhere else. And it's just as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And I will walk the extra mile or five minutes or around the corner, whatever it is to do that, because I'm not going to sponsor these people. So I, I think that to, to and what, where I want to sort of try and bring this conversation, I know Aneta has some questions. I keep giving it back and then taking it back again, <laughs> but uh, is that, you know, how do we, bring this, I'm sorry to say, but what sounds like an idealistic concept into reality tomorrow? How, how would we do that? That's where I, I would like to sort of aim this in the last 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes of the show. Anessa, do you have anything along those lines or am I setting you up in the wrong direction? Yeah, actually, well, I, I just wanted to comment on that. So I have actually myself been looking at relocating and I'm speaking of relocating as in uh, changing countries. And I have been very much looking at all these aspects of how much government uh, is involved with things, how they've handled the pandemic, 
you know, where, where can I live my best life? And, and, and what I find economically is I look at these countries and the ones that have, A, the ones that have had a lot of suppression and repression, as in uh, former Eastern Bloc countries are a good example, they are the ones that are particularly not inclined to have a lot of government um, intervention. And they have economies that are doing quite well and that the, the people are happier. So it kind of goes to back to this idea and then the meritocracy idea, which I, I really believe in. It's like, well, if you contribute to society and you have, you have more of a contribution than it, or, or you're more, you know, you have more skills or whatever, you have a, a chance, but it doesn't feel that are not a skill. They still have a way to, to survive and survive is not the right word to thrive in an environment like that. So uh, I think that's what you're getting at. Am, am, I, am I wrong about that, or is that where we're going with this? Yeah, well, I, I think that you're right to, as you look around and you say, hey, where, you know, could I go on this planet where I can have the maximum amount of personal and economic freedom so that I can make you know, the important decisions for myself and not have them made for me. That's what I would encourage everybody to think of, of, you know, of, of governance to be is, is, Hey, I, you know, let's vote with our feet. And to Timothy's point, you know, let's vote with our dollars. Um, the, if you're, if you're voting in a voting booth every four years um, in, you know, in rigged elections on black box voting machines, you know, um, uh, un with unaudible black box voting machines, you're probably not going to get the outcome that you want. Your strongest vote, to Timothy's point, is that vote that you make every single day with your dollars to either support companies and businesses that are liberty-focused and liberty-minded or to not support those that would, you know, impede your personal liberty. And that's really, uh, you know, I think the message of, of, of you know, that, that's, that's your strongest vote. And that's the way that we're going to, uh, we're going to have change here and we're going to see an end to this pandemic is when people quit uh, patronizing those companies that are uh, stamping on their uh, personal liberty. I agree with that. I mean, I've, I've said forever, I mean, this is a mantra of mine for many, many decades. Is you can vote with your dollars. That's your, your, the only vote that counts, really, uh, when it comes down to it. The other day, I, I went and got gas. The previous, this is a, a mom-and-pop gas station. They're very rare. And uh, I went and got gas there. And I, I said to the guy, I said, oh, I'm so disappointed that I see all of you wearing masks now. Because up until this last fill-up, they had not had masks on. And, they, and the guy looked down and he said, yeah, he goes, they they were going to close down unless we put masks on. And I, and, you know, I, I pointed out some things. I, I sent him to some resources and ways he could, you know, work around that. But the bottom line is we're in, in California. We have such oppression around this issue. It's really hard uh, to find the places where we can vote with our dollars that aren't supporting this agenda. It's, it's about a hundred percent. So, mm -hmm. We're having a hard time with that here. I have I I have limited my life uh, severely by 
not uh, being willing to go into places with a mask, which means I can literally go nowhere. Um, and Kenzia has done my grocery shopping because of that, because I refused to go in. And well, what if I didn't have her? You know, can I do that? No, I can't. So we're in a really, we're really bad situation with that. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that, except that I'm just saying it. <laughs> Sounds like Kinthia has a bad situation as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and I, and I have a lot of, so there you go. <laughs> so you, you sleep well yeah. at night knowing that you're not going to wear a mask out of principle, but Kinthia has to wear one and do the shopping for you. That, that's, uh, that's right. yeah. How can you live okay. with yourself? <laughs> <laughs> you know, seriously, you know, we vote, we, we can vote with our dollars. And, and I do try to, like I said, you know, I'm trying to find a gas station or whatever until we break away from this, this idea that people must do what the government says. And again, we're looking at this, this, uh, you know, the grand reopening that's happening in Europe. And I'm like, you know, I want to just with, with, I don't know, I'm really frustrated with Californians, frankly. Uh, I don't know what to say. They are really asleep at the wheel, really asleep in general, very, very asleep. This is so disappointing. But anyway, well, well, things are changing. I mean, for example, I was talking with uh, a colleague who is in Istanbul. I mean, Turkey's been under this weekend lockdown thing for weeks. I can't even remember how many now, but certainly since you know mid-December or something. So. Every weekend, everybody's supposed to be locked down all the time. Uh, only you can go and get sort of basic groceries or whatever if you need them or whatever. But there's any other reason you're not supposed to be out. And also children and uh, senior people are not supposed to be out through the week between uh, mornings or evenings. But they can go out for, limited for between one o'clock and four o'clock. This is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, in my yeah, opinion, but it is what it is. The viruses my, my, keep, my, keep amazing time, don't they? <laughs> but my point, yeah, they're very good timekeepers. But my, my point is that I was talking with a colleague today in Istanbul, and obviously Istanbul is a pretty huge city with you know, millions and millions of people inhabiting, living there. And uh, I was very happy to hear that at the weekend, uh, it doesn't look normal. But it's not far off normal. People just don't, they just ignore this lockdown. They just go out and you know, if they get stopped, they say, well, I'm shopping. You know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And they just seem to be getting on with their normal life. The roads are slightly quieter than normal, which is not no bad thing for Istanbul. But, you know, every, every area deals with this in a different way. And every character and every sort of dealing with this in a different way. And I think what we're seeing uh, is that some of the, the countries, for example, Australia, we, we reported you know, months ago, is being, was hit very, very hard. Um, and, you know, generally speaking, if you sort of say, how would you say an Australian temperament is or mentality is, you say, well, you know, cool, laid back, you know, relaxed, enjoy life, um, and so on. But they've been hit hard because perhaps they're a symbol of that, that lifestyle. Um, and if you look at the UK, that's now being really hit very hard these days. I mean, it's just, I dip in and listen to some of the news or the radio sometimes in the mornings and I'm just absolutely disgusted. I can only take so much of it because it's just so sycophantic and so subservient. I mean, literally this week there was a guy, a member of parliament who 
had entertained, uh, I think, Del Bigtree on some radio interview or TV interview. I don't know which side, radio, I guess. Um, and, you know, the he was then came on this second show and he was being absolutely grilled for like 10 minutes. You know, do you now regret having entertained the idea of speaking with Del Bigtree, such a anti-vaxxer and such a danger to our society. And blah. this sort of questions were coming to him, a member of parliament from some shitty newsreader. It was unbelievable. And so an utterly, you know, biased. It's incredible. So in the UK, it's being hit pretty hard at the moment. And unfortunately, a lot of people are taking it hook, line and sinker. So, all I can say is I think the right way to go is to continue to bring awareness, to share the truth, to wake people up and smell the coffee. And when they have made this transition to being aware, to come together and by all means adopt a uh, voluntarist um, mentality uh, because this government system has, I think, you know, globally, rotten to the core and I think we need a new system well the, the thing that the one thing that we're seeing is the we they are exposing their own truths their own truths are they're incredibly biased incredibly corrupt and we're certainly seeing that uh, with the election um, the election situation the election section here the whole thing you know this is something that that quite possibly is I'm gonna I'm gonna say that it's it's good that it's being painful. It's good. Um, and I guess all of us just need to keep at it and keep trying to wake people up about this and then, you know, hopefully this government structures that we have, uh, basically we need to have them collapse. We need a restart and it's not the great reset, it's a restart like a different way. Um, okay. Well, I just say when it when it does restart, it restarts with the population understanding that it was it was government and the the and the idea that it was legitimate. That's the the thing that got them into trouble. That's the thing that gave this organized crime system complete control over them economically, and politically, and physically. And um, on the on the uh, DARPA internet, and um, you know, one of the things that I take um, heart in is that even if you don't, even if you believe, even if you believe in go- government in the sense that it, it believe that it's legitimate, um, almost everybody that I know that still believes that government is legitimate is united on the fact that what's going on in Washington D.C. is not legitimate. And that that people are robbing the population using government, and it's to the point where they're ripping the copper pipe out of the wall and stealing the silverware, and um, and that is is if it's not you know leading to a uh, to a uh, loss of faith in government as an institution, it's definitely losing faith as uh, as government in Washington, D.C. being legitimate because it's now so openly corrupt and openly criminal. And now we're seeing trillions of dollars handed to private banks and private companies through these bailouts and stimulus. 
We're seeing trillions of dollars missing from the Pentagon. We're seeing $6 billion in physical cash missing from Iraq. We're seeing the Pentagon rob you know, the taxpayer with the Bishop's Fund uh, and the Fat Leonard scandal. And you're just seeing all of this criminality and all of this corruption bubbling to the surface to where people do not trust Washington, D.C. to do anything, even if they do believe that it's legitimate that they get ruled. They don't believe that the government in, uh, in D.C. represents their interests, and they don't believe that it's, uh, that it's um, a legitimate government. And then that's just getting splintered and fractured. Uh, you know, uh, um, uh, with every single uh, passing election. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we started out in this country with the original idea of taxation without representation, and I'm not sure why that's lost on people, but we most certainly have taxation and a lot more of it without representation at this point. So, um, again, I, I do think it's a positive that all that exposure is happening. There's a disclosure, and of course, the mainstream media doesn't want to cover the disclosure, but it's, it's still bubbling to the surface, you know. It's just like the CDC and their, their um, PCR tests. And, and now, back in July, on the, the report that came out of the CDC, on page 39, they admitted they never isolated the virus. How do you do this whole thing without having a virus? And how do you you know, how do you make a vaccine for something that you've never isolated? Oh, it's not possible. Great. So, you know, but they've, they've tried to bury that, but it's still bubbling up. And I, I think, you know, the thing is, is that we all need to decide to, to bring all that stuff forward as much as we can. It's the only way out of this. And to mm-hmm. understand that we have, we have the power. It's, it's the, the pyramid needs to be back to how it should be, which is inverted from what we've been running under with the government. So, yes. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and um, just to wrap up, I'll say that in addition to the book um, on, at government-scam.com, uh, we also did a multi-investigator investigation into who was behind the pandemic that you can get at government-scam.com forward slash pandemic. But I'll just tell you this, the thesis of our investigation is that the, the COVID was the manufactured engineered reason to have the bailouts. The, uh, the, the, um, uh, the bailouts that, that COVID is essentially a robbery where they had already decided that they were going to hand uh, trillions of dollars to private banks and private companies, and the COVID is the engineered, manufactured reason for it. And you can see our evidence of foreknowledge. You can see our evidence of disaster capitalism at government-scam.com forward slash pandemic where we break down all of the evidence uh, that certain market participants knew that this was coming, whether that's PCR tests and COVID tests being shipped out in 2019 or uh, the evidence of disaster capitalism with certain firms uh, uh, making billions of dollars off hedging uh, investments that they could not have met. Thank you, Etienne. Good night, all.